Good morning. Probably as you're noticing here, to the disappointment of most of you, your favorite pastor is not here today. Um, this could be a good thing for you. It could be a real bad thing for you. Maybe it depends on how you take it. But a lot of the times we, I don't think, realize what we have until we miss it. So this might be one of those deals where you need to really go home and seek God's face to pray that Jake stays healthy so you don't have to do this again. <laughs> and it might be one of those things that, you know, God will use a, uh, just an old dumb farmer to do something uh, in spite of me as well. Um, but nonetheless, Jake is not here today. He's not feeling very good. So this morning, about 6 o'clock this morning, I got a phone call, and, um, and he was sick enough that he had to have Tony call because he was not feeling that, that good. So needless to say, we need to pray for him in a pretty major kind of way. Um, and don't know, don't know what all he's got going on, but if he's sick enough that he's not here, I promise you, this is his number one thing that he worries about all week. So we need, to, we need to keep him lifted up in our prayers today. Um, if you don't care, tone me down just a little more, Dave. Um, but today, we're going to, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to be honest with you. I've probably never really done the same uh, sermon twice in my life. Even if I probably recorded myself, I would probably goof it up. So you're not going to get what first service got. You probably get a similar version, but not the same thing. Um, so that might be, once again, might be good, might be bad, but today what we're going to talk about is forgiveness. So the word forgiveness, uh, for a lot of us, means different things. And normally it depends on if we're on the, the side giving the forgiveness or getting the forgiveness. Uh, but it really all comes down to, for both parties, um, a very healing word, uh, no matter how it's taken. So in the first service, we talked about something, and, and a, there was an individual that came up to me that talked about something that resembled what we had done 20 years ago in the youth um, as something that was kind of a disgusting thing. We made a gumball. And in the first service, Dave Dykstra came up, and he described something else that they made on the ship that uh, was called a booger ball. It, it took it beyond where I, where I went. I thought the, the gumball was the most disgusting thing I could possibly imagine hearing from a pulpit, but we're going to go ahead and take it to the next level. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to say that their, their ship had a thing called a booger ball, okay? Now, there's some, some weak stomachs in here, and, and some of you all are going to remember this for the rest of your life, why you need to pray for Brother Jake to make sure this doesn't ever have to happen again. Just remember that, okay? But in short, what we had done one weekend um, is we had a bunch of kids coming in. With, it was an outreach event. And so we were trying to make sure as many people we could get here to hear the gospel. And so one of the games that we played is you had to hurry up and chew gum. And as soon as it got to like the moldable form, you slap it together in a ball. And you had like 30 seconds, maybe a minute to chew as much gum as possible, and your team slap it together. So we have roughly 50 kids molding together all these gumballs. Disgusting thought, correct? Then at the end of it, they mold all five or six of these gumballs together. Um, and and it, now you have this big ball of oozing, disgusting gum. Okay, has anybody in here ever watched the movie Elf? It's a great movie, right? When he hits New York and he picks up the gum off the handrail, 
that's really very similar to the disgusting level of what this ball was, okay? So, and it, it has a point, I promise. It has a point. It's just a long one to get there. But, but this whole thing that we do with this gumball, and I'm seeing a couple of grins from a few of the kids. They've actually heard, because their relative actually took a bite out of it for extra points. That's where it goes even beyond. But this ball gave me a really great, uh, I guess, example this morning for the first service of what, I guess, uh, I would describe when we hold on to a grudge, kind of what that looks like. We've all held a grudge at some point in time. We've all needed to forgive somebody in spite of somebody. We've all needed to be forgiven in spite of ourselves. And so what, what it kind of come out to be is this gumball, this mental thing that I want you to remember here, this like bowling ball-sized gumball. How many of y'all would want that for a centerpiece for your living room? Invite your friends over. Hey, check out this thing. Right here, front and center. As soon as you walk in my front door, that's what I want you to see. Nobody raised their hand. I'm kind of an interactive kind of guy, so I might really need you to kind of help me out here a little bit. But nobody wants that. Nobody wants to put that on display of their act of unforgiveness. Now, they might shove it away in a, in a closet. They might try to make sure that you can't see it and still hold on to it, still cling to it but they don't necessarily want to show it. And that's really kind of what it comes down to whenever we have a grudge against somebody. Uh, it's a very similar kind of disgusting thought um, between us and God. So uh, if you're here this morning and, um, and you feel like you've been on one side or the other about forgiveness, I want, to, I want to read what Webster's Dictionary says forgiveness is. It says to stop feeling anger towards someone for something, or to forgive a debt that is owed either in money or service. So the act of forgiveness, to me, it was portrayed probably the best that we could ever understand on the cross. Because while Jesus was on the cross, being beaten and tortured for everything that he didn't do, what did he say as, his, as some of his last words? Forgive them. He was, he was going to the Father in our place when we didn't even know what all the wrongs we've done. Now, being, being just gut level honest, how many of y'all in here feel like there's been a time or two you've really needed a lot of forgiveness? And there's some really self-righteous people in here. I want to ask you again, how many of y'all feel like you've really needed a lot of forgiveness? There's a few people waving two hands. Thank you for being honest this morning. That's where I live most days, okay? I'm not trying to pick on anybody because we're all in the same boat. We're all separated from God because of one thing, and it's called sin. And we're all messing up daily in some way, form, or fashion. So we are. Some of y'all have got it more right than others. Some of y'all got it more held together than others. Some of y'all are messing up a little bit more than others. That's just where life is. Seasons change, they come and go, and, and that's kind of how life works. Um, there's lots of things in my history that if I could erase, I would erase. Uh, but that's part of that is make, what makes me who I am. So in spite of what I would like to remember myself as, that's, that's not who I am. And so this, this thought of forgiveness is a pretty powerful, pretty huge thing if you know what all you're forgiven for. Now, sitting in a Baptist church, 
I feel like a lot of us come in, uh, we get saved, we get a relationship with Christ, we're starting on this path of redemption, we're starting on this path of where we're doing better. We're not messing up quite as public and quite as often as maybe what used to. We're only showing that gumball maybe like once a month or maybe even once a year. We're, we're overachievers if we do that, you know. And so we're doing a little bit better, but we're still not arrived. But we kind of treat life like we have arrived. And that's the dangerous part of a grudge. That's the dangerous part of a lack of forgiveness is that whenever I feel like I can't do wrong, I feel like if you get offended at me, it's probably on you because I didn't mean it that way. Or if you offend me, it's up to you to come to me and make it right. Now, I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hand on this one because this one will probably really get me fired from a volunteer job. Um, the, the truth of the matter is the world doesn't revolve around us. When we look in the mirror, it does not revolve around that picture. When I look in the mirror, most, most generally it cracks. So I try not to look in the mirror a whole lot. But when I look in a mirror, I don't see something that I feel like is set apart that is God's special creation. Normally I, I look at something and I see this is who I could have been if God wasn't continually washing me and cleaning me up and trying to make me into something other than a disgusting gumball. So the humility part of getting up and talking to a crowd this morning with two or three hours notice um, is I'm just going to be kind of gut level honest with you of where I am, where I come from, and, and kind of how this affects us and, and all of us as a whole, as a church, as a community. Um, is everything. And the one thing that I see that's the most common issue in our society is the lack of love and the lack of forgiveness. So that's why this morning as I was praying, I, I kept trying to put together what we were going to talk about today. And uh, we talk to kids about kid problems a lot. Uh, teenagers have some of the same issues of what we do and some different kinds of issues than what we do. But we all have an issue of forgiveness. We all have an issue of what do we do when we get hurt? What do we do when we hurt somebody? And so as we go through life, what will separate us from the general public is how we forgive and how we love. The only difference between us and everyone else on that street is how we do those two things. If we forgive the people that are unforgivable, that makes you something different. If we love the people that's unlovable, that makes us something different. Has anybody ever been in traffic and found themselves trying to merge at the last minute because you didn't see a sign and somebody really was not happy that you were trying to move into their way and they maybe even waved really nice waves and probably said really great things, maybe blatantly into your windows. Anybody ever had that happen before? I think Brother John called them a couple of months ago, Walmart moments. Um, we're all capable of having those on both sides. We're capable of creating those. We're ca capable of having them happen to us. It's part of life. You know what normally gets in the way of God's perfect plan, just like our perfect route for the day, is always us. Always. Hands down, guaranteed, 
It will be us that messes that up somehow. So if you don't care, I'm going to ask if you would open your Bibles and we're going to read out of 2 Corinthians 2, 3 through 11. And we're just going to talk about forgiveness. And I wrote this very thing to you lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you would show that not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love that I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Not to be too severe, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man so that on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to refrain from your love, uh, reaffirm your love for him. For this is the end. I also write that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven uh, that the one who sake, who's, who's for your sake in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should come and take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. So pretty much what Paul's writing about here is that, first off, I, I guess before we even go to that point, for parents, especially moms in the room, if you have teenagers at home, and you know that you're going to be coming home, and you know that there's a chance that you're going to find the house a wreck. Sometimes you even give them fair warning, right? Because you know you're probably going to walk into something that you don't want to see as far as food on the counter, dishes not put up. Because all, all teenagers are good, clean teenagers, right? Nah, not exactly. So sometimes we give a fair warning to say, hey, you need a little heads up. I'm coming. And I feel like that's kind of what, what Paul's telling us all is that if we all have a little bit of a heads up, we would probably live our life a little bit different. Because if Christ is to come back like a thief in the night, like he tells us he's going to, he's not going to give us a, a heads up. He's not going to give us a warning to say, hey, tomorrow at 3.15, you probably need to get all that stuff taken care of. But Paul is giving us the benefit of the doubt. He's giving that church a little bit of a heads up. He's saying, hey, I'm going to stop by. Now do me a favor. Just don't be as dumb as you normally are when I get there. Try to have some of your mess cleaned up. Try to look a little bit more presentable than what you did the last time. Because what Paul is seeing here is this is a church that he created. This is a church that he is seeing grow. And, and as somebody that lives on a farm, I take a lot of pride in seeing things grow. Okay, now there's some people that like to plant flowers. I like to kill them. Uh, some people like to, to, to watch, watch different things uh, grow and prosper. Um, that's kind of how I am whenever I see either animals or crops uh, or some of our kids to grow and prosper. And that's what Paul's saying. I want to see you be where you're supposed to be. Help me help you. Help me not be disappointed. I want to have the joy that I've already envisioned in my mind that I'm going to find whenever I get there to see you. I, that's what he wants for these people. But the, 
the, the sad part of this is a lot of times we don't hold up our end of the bargain, do we? And that's where this kind of comes into, the forgiveness and the love. And, and, uh, and if we're giving everything that we have, if we're doing all that we can for, for the kingdom of God, all that's going to change. All that is going to change our perspective on it. So I go back to that, the person in the mirror uh, thought. If we feel like the world revolves around us, we want to fight for when somebody wrongs us. We want to fight for when somebody wrongs one of our friends. We want to fight because that's kind of what we're hardwired to do, is to fight for right versus wrong. But with so many things in this world, it's not our fight. And so what, what Paul is talking about here is that you know, pretty much this guy had done something wrong. The church had lashed out to him. And he's saying, you did good. You, you took care of all that. But, but ease up because you're all a mess. I'm giving you forewarning because you're all a mess. And so instead of focusing on what this guy did wrong, you probably need to start loving on him. Because what I see, especially in the youth ministry world, is that I can, I can take care of a situation. I can redirect you. I can try to maybe even be hard on somebody. But if I don't do it with love, then I'm just judgmental. And I pretty much just slam the door. And for a church as a whole, and I'm not just picking on this one, it's the church world. For us as a whole, we're really great at that. We come in, we get a relationship with Christ. We feel like we're getting kind of cleaned up. We're getting a little bit better than what we used to be because I'm not near the wreck at 41 as I used to be at 15. But I'm still a wreck, and I still came from a wreck. And so, so many times we judge those people, and we, we hand out the judgment of when somebody wrongs us like they should be on the same playing field of where we are. That's not the way that it works. God is always trying to perfect us. God is always trying to straighten us up. But it's in spite of us, anything that he gained. So I'm going to ask if you wouldn't care then to turn in your Bibles to John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Also love one another. By this, we, by this all will know that you are my disciples and you have one love for one another. What John's telling us is that if we love people enough, people are going to know that we're different. I shouldn't have to wear a shirt that says, I go to Ten Mile Baptist Church, I'm a Christian, and have a badge on my shirt. I shouldn't have to wear that for people to know that I'm a little bit different than an average person in Hamilton County. If I have to do that, I might as well not do that. And as in the church where we live uh, in a small community, it's really, really easy for, for word to spread pretty quick, right? All it really takes is just a little bit of fuel, and we can make sure that everybody in the county knows, hey, Brother Jake wasn't there this morning, and man, that church is in trouble if he never leaves. That's all you got to do, just that fast. It will spread to, spread to all of Hamilton County, probably half of Franklin and White and all the other counties surrounding, because it's pretty easy for, for news to spread. That's exactly what we can do if we have hurt, and if we cling to it, just like that gumball, all it takes is me using that openly to spread malice and to spread hurt. 
But the Bible's really clear. It says love conquers all things. That means that love conquers me in spite of me. That love conquers the biggest hurt that has ever happened to me. That love conquers the biggest hurt that I've ever done to you. Uh, the first service, uh, I told him, and I, I don't know if, um, if it was accurate or not, but I just figured probably about a third of the people in here, I probably know good enough that at some point in time, I've probably said something that I didn't even know offended you. Or I did something that I didn't even know that offended you. It might have even been in a traffic. I might have been the guy driving down the, the road in a combine that slowed you down that day, and that's what offended you. I don't know. There's lots of different ways that we can all get offended. But I'll promise you this. I didn't intend to hurt you probably the way that you felt hurt. And most generally, whenever somebody is hurt, that's really what it comes down to. It normally comes down to a miscommunication or something that got blown out of context um, completely and totally. And so whenever I decide to hold on to that disgusting gumball that we talked about earlier, when I decide to hold on to that, who all do you think that affects? Is it just me? This is where y'all have to be a little bit interactive. Is it just me that's affected in a negative way if I hold on to that disgusting gumball? No. If I'm, if I'm traveling with my favorite gumball on an airplane, how many people want to come sit by me first thing? Or are they going to say, oh, that's the last seat and i got to get there? Yeah. Even my family ain't going to want to ride with me. It's disgusting, right? That's the same way that this hurt, that this malice, that this grudge, the exact same way that it affects us. Not only is it going to affect me, it's going to affect my spouse, it's going to affect my kids, maybe my parents. I've seen generation after generation affected in a negative way because generations before, people were holding a grudge against each other and they still do to this day. In a small community especially, I think it's even worse. Because everybody knows everybody. And everybody knows everybody's junk. And everybody knows your junk. So it might even be that I hold a grudge against you because you know what I did. And I don't want to be around you because you might remind me of what I did. So we're going we're gonna to turn in Matthew now, 5, 23, and 24. We'll see what it has to say there about a grudge. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother and then come with your gift. So pretty much whenever I come to the altar, if, if say we have the best altar call in the world and y'all are really convicted, and uh, this is a pipe dream just so you know, but just say that all that works that God actually shows up and pierces your heart today in a way that you can't control it and you find yourself at the altar. But you're wanting to pray about something else. What he's telling us here is that I can't even get right with God until I get right with my brother. Until I decide to make, make sure that things are right, my prayers are pretty much going to hit the ceiling. That's what he's telling us here in the Bible. So how many times do we find ourselves in this situation Saying, God, I feel like you're not moving in my life. God, I feel like you're just not here anymore. I don't feel like I'm the same as where I was. And it's because I'm holding on to this guilt 
or I'm holding on because sometimes we don't forgive ourselves. It's the other part of this. Sometimes I'm holding on to that guilt or that vengeance against somebody. And that's what's separating us from God. He has a perfectly laid out plan for us to use us, to prosper us, for people in the community to find their way to Christ, to find their way uh, to an altar, to meet him face to face. If we would just get over ourselves and do what's right. So why don't we do that? Anybody know? Pride. Thank you for, thank you, thank you. I'm telling you, they talk a lot more, okay? It makes it a lot easier. Pride. You go back to who that person is in the mirror. I don't want to make it right because then i got to humble myself and say I was wrong. I don't want to make it right because whenever I have to go to them and say, hey, I was mad at you for doing this. And the sad part is, is I did it 15 times to somebody else and I just wanted to forgive myself and, and move on. But you can't always do it that way. So we've been talking the last couple of weeks, or I guess a little over a month, about miracles in you. And this was actually going to be the last uh, the last miracle session, uh, about half of this sermon this morning was going to be was going to be put together for that. And, and what I got to experience a couple months ago, I would consider to be a miracle. It was a miracle of forgiveness. And I can promise you, 24 years ago, if you would have told me this individual uh, that is about the same size as me, pretty good sized guys, uh, would have big old crocodile tears in our eyes, giving each other a hug in a workplace that's dusty and dirty and disgusting, uh, with people waiting for us to get out of the way, I'd have probably laughed at you. Because 24 years ago, if he would have had it capable, I'm sure he would have, and this is true, uh, he would have loved nothing more than to have seen me extinguished, and I probably the same with him. It wasn't just a hurt. It wasn't just an anger. It was more of a hatred. Well, what had happened in this individual's life um, the night before we met, is he met Christ on a Monday night in his house. On a Tuesday morning where I was supposed to be at church camp, we met and, and through a random act of God orchestrating things, um, not just random coincidence, but everything is orchestrated by him whenever things this random happen, just so you know. We got to share each other with how we got to where we were. And I let him know, I said, you know, I, I honestly forgot about that a long time ago. We moved on, and, and we'd talked several different times, but I just assumed he didn't know who I was, and he assumed the same. He assumed that I didn't know who he was. And so as we sat there and we hugged each other, and these big old crocodile tears came out, um, the next morning, about the same time, he came up to me once again, and he said, I just want you to know, he said, I've not had peace in my life like I have the last two days. I've held on to this guilt. I've held on to this hurt for all these years. And it felt so good. Now, I had forgiven him a long time before. Because honestly, what I had to figure out was the hurt that I was holding against him wasn't his. You know why lost people do lost things? They're lost. You know why stupid people do stupid things? Because we're stupid. Yeah, I put we in there, okay? 
That's, what it, that's the way it works. If I assume that you knew every reaction to everything that you did, I'm assuming that you're as smart as what God is. And I'm sorry, but there's some really good, smart people in here, but you're not there yet. You don't know every reaction to every action that you're going to do. And so what I realized in that is that I had forgiven him, but I never told him. I just assumed for the last couple of years of me running into him that he knew probably who I was, or maybe he didn't, and that we would just kind of forget about it. And a lot of times whenever we bring up old hurt, it hurts, right? But a lot of times that's the only way that we really ever heal is to bring it up. I see a lot of times in marriages, because we've talked to a lot of people, some of you all in this room, about hurts in marriages, about hurts in families, why some family doesn't talk to other family, why neighbors don't talk to neighbors. And if you go back to this word forgiveness, if you go back to the roots of the fact that you didn't deserve the forgiveness you got, that was poured out on us. They'll take care of a whole lot of that. Matthew West wrote a song that, said, that was called Forgiveness. and to, to love the unlovable. To reach the unreachable. The only way this church is ever going to reach our community. The only way that our lives are ever going to be poured out. To see people that are hurting each and every day. And their lives changed. Is to forgive and to love. Not everything revolves around us. Matter of fact, how many things revolve around us? Nothing. That's not what Hollywood's going to say. That's not what whatever news station you watch is going to say. That's what this Bible right here says. If we will give our all in seeking Him first and expanding His kingdom, You'll find yourself that in loving others and forgiving others, that you will find yourself in a position a lot of the times getting things given to you like forgiveness and like the peace that we really don't deserve in an abundant manner. Now, most of y'all in here, probably all of y'all in here, know my wife. She's happy to be happy. Just be, just be blunt, okay? My wife is happy to be happy. Normally, if there's something in, the, in her life that doesn't make her happy, it's probably got something to do with what I did. But my wife has this joy that is very contagious. And so even whenever my day goes horribly, terribly wrong, normally it doesn't take but just a little dose of getting to spend time with my wife, and I feel better. Because joy is contagious. Love is contagious. Forgiveness it's contagious. All the right things that we're supposed to be doing in this world are contagious. Coincidentally, Satan, which talked about there in 2 Corinthians, will take that and he'll replace it with something else. Because if I want to complain about the temperature in this room, at least half of y'all, no matter what direction I go, at least half of y'all are going to go with me. You're either too hot right now or you're too cold. Ain't none of you perfectly content. Some of y'all laughing. Thank you for being honest. All I have to do is start complaining about it and somebody's going somebody's gonna to hop on the train with me. If I complain about how bumpy this road out here was a month or so ago, somebody's going to get on the 
on the train and, and go with me. They'll tell me how many times they spilled their drink in their lap. We can all find ourselves following whether it's right or wrong. But what I want to ask this morning is when we come down to the altar, when we go home and it's a prayer closet, when we're driving, whenever we, we're just having alone time with God, how many of us, our prayers are hindered because we won't just give up the grudge that we're holding on to? Life is really too short. I mean, on a great, on a great expectancy, I'm halfway out of here. More than likely, I'm probably two-thirds of the way out of here because unless I stop eating at buffets, it's probably maybe three-fourths of the way out of here. I don't know. Life is really too short to live your life either with the regret or with the grudge that forgiveness can heal. And so many other people's lives are even shorter. This individual, whenever... I was approached that I needed to go share Christ with him. I had a gut check because an individual actually prompted me, hey, you need to go share Christ with him. I said, you're right, I do. And so while I was sitting in a truck for about five minutes before this individual came up to me and we, we shared our, our stories with each other, I just prayed. I said, God, I have no idea how in the world this is going to work. It's probably going to get ugly, but this is what I'm going to do. Because if there's one person in the world that by showing love to this individual, it would probably speak louder than anything. It was me. Because I knew he hated me. I knew it. And he had a reason to hate me. Because the conflict that we had caused a dividing line and an extreme one. And the bad thing was, it was a bad situation that just had a bad comment shared about it. And I took it to heart that he meant what he said. He took it to heart that I really hated him so much that I wanted him dead. Both of us felt that way. This is a long time ago, okay? I, I promise I, I really kind of, it's hard to get me worked up really about anything unless you try to take something off my plate. But at that point in time, it was, a, it was a crazy situation. Some of you guys know what the situation was, and I'm, I'm not going to go into there because it really doesn't matter. What matters is we've all experienced something that we can, we can go back to and cling to. Somebody in a church 20 years ago said something to you and offended you, and you've held it against the church ever since. Somebody at your work said something to you, and you've, you've hated them ever since because they were talking down to you, or they got the job promotion that you wanted, and they, they, now you're having to report to them. We can find all kinds of reasons to have issues with people. But what Christ does is He finds all kinds of reasons to love us in spite of us. And that's the only thing that's going to change the world is when we find reasons to love people in spite of them. This is what happened to us. None of us are high and mighty. None of us are perfected but we all are trying, I hope. So today, I'm just going to ask if, Jamie, go ahead and start coming up here. If you were to look at yourself as Paul was looking at a church, or if you were to look at yourself like Christ, ooh, there we go, 
um, like Christ looks at us each and every day? What does he see? Does he see somebody that's pouring out love each and every day? Does he see somebody that he hasn't got to talk to in a long time because you're holding on to that disgusting gumball and you just won't let go? This church can give off an aroma of forgiveness and love or judgment and hurt. And it's us. Now, I, I said really seriously, you do need to pray for Brother Jake because you probably don't want to sit through this much more. But that's not on him. His job is to bring words that God gives him to change you all. It's your guys' job to reach out to a community. One person can only change one person at a time. A church of four or five hundred can change four or five hundred at a time. All of you guys are content with the direction that the world is going today, but I don't think it's necessarily the one that we're supposed to see unfold if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Everybody feel like every time you turn the TV on, you're talking about a love story and forgiveness. No, I'm not talking about Hallmark. I'm talking about like if you turn the news on, like actually what's going on. It's not good. A lot of that comes back to us. If we're content to sit here on our hands and do nothing about the hurt and the pain that we cause or has been caused to us, we're part of the problem. And we can be a part of the solution. So this morning I'm going to open up the altars. Um, I'm encouraging you, if you got something that's blocking you today and your prayers aren't going through the ceiling and they're bouncing right back, probably because we're holding on to something we're not supposed to hold on to. You're not giving something that you're supposed to give away. And, uh, and we're a part of the problem. So as they play, I'm going to ask if Jamie would go ahead and close us there. Uh, when he gets in with the altar call, altar's open. Thank you all. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.